Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. 150 chapters on the end times is our second session. Matthew 24, part one, because we're going to do a part one and a part two on this one. All right, so let's look here. We've got uh, Matthew 24, one through eight. Here, I've got a, a paragraph there. This is, if you needed kind of a header, this is what's referred to as the birth pains. And uh, the birth pains, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means here in a minute. But I want us to kind of get a feel for the beginning of Matthew 24, when we start to jump into the end times verses, it's describing the birth pains at the end of the age. So let's just read it. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. And they came to him uh, to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. So this is Jesus answering the question. And the very first thing he says, important detail, the very first thing he says related to the end times and the signs of his coming, the first thing he says is, don't be deceived. That's the very first thing he says. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So here's Jesus answering the question, what will be the sign of your coming? They ask him for a sign. He lists off many signs. And he actually helps, he addresses it later in Matthew 24. He actually addresses what they're asking for is a bit misinformed. They want to know the one sign that when that happens, we can know Jesus is coming. And Jesus says, it's more complicated than that. It's going to require that you're not deceived. It's going to require that you pay attention. It's going to require that you actually know all the stuff I'm about to say because I'm answering your question, but you're, you're, uh, the answer to the question is far more complicated than the question that you're asking. There's a lot more to it. It's not just an easy one-answer test, pass or fail. There's a whole string of things that are going to happen. He says it's going to require that you're paying attention. So the first thing he says is, watch out. As uh, you probably heard me say before, if you've been around at all, I think that the greatest subject related to the end times, the one that I think is the most uh, upfront and important for us, isn't the judgments. It isn't the, you know, the order of events. I think the single greatest thing that the church needs to hear related to the end times is, watch out that you are not deceived. And that's Jesus' answer when he's asked an end times question. So the little Q&A session going on here, and the disciples say, hey, we heard that there was an end times Q&A today. Um, we've got a question. What's the sign of your coming? And he immediately gives what I believe to be the most important detail related to the end times, and that is watch out, because if you don't watch out, I promise you, you're in deep trouble. And most won't watch out. So deep trouble is going to be the default. The solution is watch out that you're not deceived. So the concept that 
that, that Christians can't study the end times and that normal Christians just can't understand it and all that, that's exactly what Jesus was warning against. He's actually warning against that lie that would say normal Christians can't understand. He says you absolutely can understand. In fact, you must understand. Watch out so that you're not deceived. Watching out means know the details of the end times so that you can rightly discern what's happening instead of wrongly discerning. He says because there's going to be a whole lot of wrongly discerning. Number one, watch out. Second point I just want to make about this is if you need your intro to the end times, you just need the most intro of intro, I can't even handle a whole chapter, I can't handle all the ideas, I think a great place to start is the signs of the times. Jesus gives us these birth pains that he says, he says these are the beginning of birth pains. Now just, I want you to think about the way that, the analogy that Jesus chose to use. He could have used anything, right? Couldn't he have said this is the start of the race? Couldn't he have said, you know, this is, this is the beginning of the hardship? He said, this is the beginning of birth pains. And the reason he said that is because he wanted everybody to understand the very natural analogy of labor pains. A woman is pregnant for nine months. Hopefully, if things have gone fairly normal, she has not been having labor pains. But she's been growing in pregnancy, and it's been very obvious there's a person in there. But a time comes where we're no longer getting ready for a baby, getting ready for a baby, getting ready. It's now there's labor pains. There's birth pains. But it's really interesting that when birth pains start, there is no baby five seconds later. These are the beginning of birth pains. He says, when birth pains begin, it's the, the, the time clock that you want to look at on this is, the idea is that the pushing, the hard pushing, the heavy labor, not the beginning, the heavy labor, that's the great tribulation that lasts three and a half years. So if the great tribulation is the, oh, I mean, intense pushing, and that's three and a half years, the labor pains are going to last a whole lot longer because that's how labor works. And Jesus is using the most natural analogy to make sure that everybody understands so that no one's deceived. He says, you're going to have some real hard times, and they're going to last a long time. They're going to last a while. He said, in fact, there's going to be many things that are going to occur during that period of time. And a lot of people are going to start to go, is this the end? Is that Jesus? Is this guy the Messiah? He says, these are just the beginning of birth pangs. You are going to be in this environment for a while. And it's important that the church understands because the disciples were asking the question with a wrong eschatology. They were asking the question, what's the sign that you're coming? Because we assume that sign means that a few weeks later you're here or a month later or some short period of time. He says, oh no, it's actually far more complicated than that. The signs of my coming, not sign, are actually indicators, not that I'm coming in a week or a month or a year, it's indicating I'm coming in that generation and you have a long time to go. And it's going to be really hard and really bad. Oh, this is really bad news. He said, yeah, you guys were completely misunderstanding what was going on. You were looking for an easy answer and two weeks later the Messiah comes. That's not the storyline. He says, these are the beginning of birth pains. Then birth pains intensify, intensify, and eventually you get to heavy labor where you're pushing out the baby, and that's the three-and-a-half-year-long Great Tribulation. This is a, this is a very redefining uh, moment for these, uh, these apostles who thought that they understood uh, the scenario. It's really, really a different deal. 
John, would you grab me one more of these from the lobby? I just know I'm going to go through it. I'm fighting something. Thanks, John. All right, so that's the second point I want to make, these birth pains, all right? <clears throat> so I would encourage you to go and look at them and uh, understand these. Likely, this concept of these birth pains lasting a while, we're probably talking about decades. Probably. I mean, just think about how long, when things are going in a normal labor situation, how long is the heavy pushing? A couple hours? Three? Five? I mean, Hopefully you're not in heavy pushing labor for a week. I mean, that would be pretty bad. Okay, so then if that's the case, then how long do the contractions last? Well, they might last a lot of hours, a day, two days. I mean, it might be a while. Well, the idea is that there's going to be a significant period of time that these labor pains are occurring, and these labor pains are all these things that we just read. Okay? So it's a season likely lasting Decades. All right, now I gave you part D, top of page two. What all the, uh, the signs are that he lists. And I listed out uh, 12 of them here in, the, in uh, Matthew. There are many more. Uh, but I just wanted to cover the content that's here. And actually, I want to add a 13th. So if you've got a pen, you might want to add number 13, the sign of the Son of Man, Matthew 24, 30. We won't get to it uh, till a little bit later here, but it's, it's one of the signs as well. So Matthew 24, 30, the sign of the Son of Man would really be a 13th. So I just want to encourage you, if you're new to the end times, you're trying to figure out, man, where do I get started? I would encourage you to read Matthew 24 over and over again, and then specifically hone in on these signs of the times and start to think about what they're going to look like and, and, uh, and, and how that, that's all going to go. Okay. Last point I want to make about the signs, and then we'll move on from there. The signs have to be discernible or they don't count. Okay, so imagine how mean it would be for Jesus to say, one of the signs of the times is there'll be earthquakes in various places. He said that. And yet, earthquakes in various places are just going to look like it's always looked on the planet. There's always, there's always been earthquakes. It has to be discernible, or it doesn't count as a sign. What kind of unhelpful sign do you read and you have no idea what you're reading? I mean, that is a very unhelpful sign. You read a stop sign that's totally, you know, faded by the sun. It's now white, and you come up to a, where you should be stopping, and it's a white sign that's kind of, even the, even the shape of it's all bent out of shape, and it's white instead of red. You would not know that you're supposed to stop. That is an unhelpful sign. I promise you the signs Jesus gave us are helpful, meaning there must be activity that looks very different than it's always looked. So it's not earthquakes like we've always seen earthquakes. It's earthquakes where we've never seen earthquakes. Earthquakes in various places, not the assigned normal places. Also, well, that earthquake, was that an earthquake? Did we just have one? Was it a one, you know, on the Richter scale? Was it a, was it a you know, .0001? That doesn't count. That is not what we're talking about. That's not a discernible sign. Who would even know? You'd have to be like a tectonic, you know, specialist to know that that even happened for that to count. That's not what he's talking about. He says, you're going to see craziness happen in the realm of earthquakes. And it will be discernible you're living in a different hour. That's what he's saying. Furthermore, it's a global phenomenon. These signs, he says, to the body of Christ. Because I don't know if you know this or not, the guys he was talking to that day are all dead. 
all the apostles that he said, here are the signs of my coming. Watch out that you're not deceived. He wasn't even talking to the guys he was talking to. He was talking to the guys that were going to write it down so that we would have it. Okay? The signs must be discernible by the body of Christ. Well, the problem is the body of Christ lives all over the planet. Well, that's not a problem. That was the plan. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations. Then the end will come. So what does that mean? That means these signs have to be globally discernible by the church, meaning they'll be a really big deal. There will be things going on that are discernible, that are, uh, you know, of, of a bigger order, of a bigger sort, and in weird ways. Now, I've spent enough time on that. I just wanted to kind of give you a feel for it. Apply that same idea of earthquakes. Apply that same idea to famines, persecution, wars, all those different things, okay? Uh, last discernment point, or a, a point of a distinction. When it says nation against nation and it says kingdom against kingdom, you might think that that's the same thing. You want to think of kingdom against kingdom. You want to think of that as a nation fighting another nation. That's a kingdom versus a kingdom. When it actually says nation versus nation, the word is ethnos. It's referring to ethnic groups. It's actually talking about like wars of one ethnic group against another ethnic group. And that's different than a kingdom versus a kingdom. So if you needed a little bit of discernment there on why those two things are different, when you read nation against nation, read ethnos against ethnos, ethnic group against ethnic group. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the great persecution because that's not a lot of fun. The next verse in our read through Matthew 24 verse nine, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. This is horrible. This is future, and this is a fact. You may not like it. I don't like it. But Jesus is saying it, and I just got to tell you, when we read words that Jesus says that we don't like, we can't just pretend he didn't say them. I mean, I don't like this. This is a horrible reality it is a future reality, and it is a fact that is 100% coming to the planet. And again, it's not just some group of Christians in some nation somewhere. It's the body of Christ globally. So now with that in mind, let's read it one more time. Then you, the body of Christ globally, wherever you might live and love Jesus, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death you, in fact, will be hated by all nations. So there will be no nation, including America, where you'll be able to escape this persecution. This persecution is coming because this persecution is not about geography and it's not about politics and it's not about nation. It's a cultural reality that is going to get into the systems of the earth. It's already rising that is going to cause the whole earth to embrace all manner of wickedness and to disdain Christians because Christians are standing for what is righteous and they're saying, you can't do that. That's not right. That's not good. That's not God. That, that's not okay. And the earth is saying, who are you to tell us that we can't do these things? Who are you to judge us? We're nobody. We're representatives of somebody. And he does have a right to tell you, you're judged. And no one wants to hear that. So what's going to happen is the whole earth... Every nation, everywhere that there are Christians, the culture, the society itself will turn against the church. We really don't have a good for that. I mean, we live in 
even whatever little minor pieces of persecution and stuff, we know nothing of this. And Jesus said, you can count on this. This is the future. It's pretty intense. This is going to be a significant part of that first three and a half years of the tribulation. We don't have time to go into all of it right now. We'll cover it at other times. But if you ever hear the term, the tribulation, that's seven years long. If you hear the term, the great tribulation, that's the last half of the seven years. It's the last three and a half years. So the tribulation is broken up to a three and a half year period uh, that looks different than the second three and a half year period. The first three and a half year period will be marked by, people will be saying peace and safety. It will, from a cultural standpoint, people will be thinking, this is good, we're making progress. We've finally gotten some things in line. The Christians in that hour will be loudly saying, you've signed an agreement with the devil. And the world will not appreciate that statement because they will have been fighting for peace and safety and they finally got it. And now the Christians are saying, you guys have actually signed an agreement with the devil and that's how you got your peace and safety. So it will be peace and safety for the lost and it will be intense persecution for the saved because the saved will be standing up against that lie. Let's move on. In the midst of all this, there is a very, very challenging reality. Again, we don't have to like it. I don't like it. But there's a term that Paul uses. We won't look at it tonight. We'll look at it in another session. But there's a term that Paul uses referring to the end times. And he says, he says uh, you know very well that the man of lawless, or rather that the end will not come until the man of lawlessness has been revealed and the great falling away has occurred. You go, what is the great falling away? Well, Matthew 24 does tell us more details, in my opinion, without the title, great falling away. Matthew 24 tells us a whole lot about what the great falling away is. It describes uh, in detail what is going on. So without having the title, Jesus tells us the reality. And here's what he says. This is Matthew 24. I'm going to read you 10 through 13. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. You don't have to like that, but it's Jesus who said it. Many will turn away from faith in Jesus. Many. And they'll do more than that. They will betray and hate each other. That is horrifying. And as if that wasn't enough, Many false prophets will appear, and they will effectively deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus isn't giving a lesson to the lost world about being lost in the last generation. He's giving instructions to the church to the ones that he just said, I am, I am for you, I don't want you to be deceived. The most important thing you can know related to the end times is, don't be deceived, watch out, because great deception is coming. And then he says, he says, the love of most will grow cold. I do not like that. Most grow cold. Don't we always pray that our hearts would grow hot? that we would like come alive and we'd fan into flame, that we would, Jesus says, I'm telling you, there's gonna be such an increase of wickedness in the final generation that that wickedness is gonna be so alluring and so lying, 
It's going to cause the love of most Christians to grow cold. Oh my gosh. And he said, in the midst of that, he said, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He says, it doesn't have to be you. He says, it's true. It's going to be really intense. There will be great difficulty, great persecution. There'll be great wickedness. That wickedness will be calling out to people, hey, come in with us. Be part of the wickedness. Be part of the culture. Be part of the spirit of the age. Jump in, jump in. It will be loud. It will be obnoxious. He said, and then there'll even be false prophets that will rise up in the midst. And those false prophets will prophesy things like, this new trend is God. And they'll do a miracle in order to authenticate, this trend is God. And it's a total lie. And it's false. And it's deception. And he said, the love of most will grow cold. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's break down this horrifying trend, kind of look at it a little bit the way it's going to go. <clears throat> Great deception is coming. I gave you there, the Matthew 24, 4. Watch out that no one deceives you. Step one, deception is coming. And I want you, instead of thinking about deceivers, I want you to think the, the greatest deceiver, the greatest deception is the culture that we're living in and the spirit of the age. That is an infinitely worse liar than any anointed man or woman. We are living in an age that is calling evil things that the Bible identifies as evil. It is calling those evil things good. And at the same time, there are things that the Bible praises and says, this is good, this is godly, this is righteous. And our world around us is already saying, identifying those righteous things and calling them bad and legalism and evil and wrong. The greatest deception will not be an anointed minister on television. The greatest deception will be the culture all around us that is identifying and high-fiving certain things and is booing and, you know, downplaying the righteousness. We're living in that culture. It's already happening now. So great deception is here and is coming. Second, as a result of that, all that deception, people are going, uh, and, and really the wickedness that's rising, that increase of wickedness is going to give way to all manner of things. If you just have ever seen anybody in your life, anybody that you've loved that was a believer, and they kind of got bit by the spirit of the age, they kind of got bit, they started uh, before they had their head on straight, and they were saying things in, a great, in agreement with the Bible, but then time went on, and they started agreeing with things in the world that are like, that's not what the Bible says. And they started to kind of lose their way. There's such an increase of wickedness in the land that is alluring. So deception and the increase of wickedness are a seedbed for, uh, for people to wind up losing their way in Christ and eventually going to hell over it. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Okay? So the first thing is deception, then increase of wickedness, then... It goes, after that, their love starts to grow cold because you can't say, yes, I love this sin and be in a good spot with God. You can't embrace sin, even if all your friends say, that's not sin. Even if your church says, that's not sin. If the Bible says it's sin and we embrace it, we are not in a good place with God and our heart is growing cold. It's not growing alive. It's growing dead. You can't give way to sin and be okay. So what happens? Wickedness rises. People see it. There's deception. It's enticing. They start to give way to that. So what happens? Their hearts start to grow cold. 
a cold heart can be convinced to do the most wicked practices. As a heart grows cold, it can be easily convinced to do evil things. And where it ends up is they will betray and hate one another. Wait, didn't you used to go to my church? Yeah, and now I betray you and I hate you. What happened to you? No, it's what happened to you. I've been paying attention to what's going on. You don't have your eyes open, you bigot. You're not paying attention. You're not seeing what is real and true. You're not paying attention to what is really and right and good. You don't care about people. You don't love people. You're holding to that old book, and you're not believing what's real and right and good. You're the problem. Wait, I thought we sat on the road together in the sermons. What, what happened? Wickedness, deception, betrayal. That's where it's going. The love of most will grow cold. It's really intense. All right, well, it's not all bad news. Praise the Lord. There is, in fact, a revival coming. We refer to it as the great harvest. There's an unbelievable number of believers that are going to come into the kingdom. Uh, Just an unprecedented number. Look at Matthew 24, verse 14. This is right after the bad news of the great falling away. See, Jesus has given a lot of signs. These are signs. I don't know if you're paying attention. These are signs. (laughs) He says... When the world loses its mind and it starts giving way to all manner of evil, that's actually good news for you because that's one of the signs of the times. I look at what's happening in our culture right now and there is a portion, it's a small suppressed portion of me that's excited about it because I know that we're actually in the hour. We're actually in, we're starting to see the signs of the times become reality in the earth. And one of the greatest signs of the times was the increase of wickedness will rise to such a cultural height that it will cause the love of most to grow cold. And we're, we're not there yet, but we're seeing it happen. And one family at a time, one congregation at a time, one group at a time, we're seeing people shift their mindsets from a biblically-based thought process to a culturally supportive thought process. We're watching it happen. All right, so let's read Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He says, you want to know one of the signs of the times? The gospel will be preached everywhere, and Jesus, in a a way, he makes a promise. I'm not coming back till it happens. So I've got really uh, clear information for you out of the mouth of Jesus. The second coming of Christ cannot happen yet because the gospel has not been preached to all nations. Think about Jesus in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Same world. This gospel will be preached in the whole world that God so loves. Until the gospel has gone forth in the whole world, every tribe, language, tongue, and nation, Jesus is not even remotely thinking about coming back because the gospel was so that Jesus could get a big old family. And he wants family members of every height, color, language, persuasion, and geography. He wants people from everywhere. That's the family. And he says, I'm not coming back until that's happened. Further, it's not just that the message will be preached. It's that the message will be responded to. Why say 
this testimony will go forth just so I can stick my, you know, finger in my nose and go, no, 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 I told you. You didn't listen. I got the message out. I did what I was supposed to do. I'm God. I'm righteous. I said I was going to make sure everybody heard it. That is not the heart of God at all. The message is preached so that people will get saved. And where the message is preached, people will get saved so that they can come into the family. That's the point. This isn't about God being able to say, I told everybody and they didn't like it. This is about God getting a family. God will get his family. And we see it here in uh, Revelation chapter 7. We're not going to read it right now, but it's there for your review. We see in Revelation 7 that there's a great multitude at the end of the age that comes into the kingdom. <clears throat> They're from every tribe, language, tongue. It's in response to Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. It's not just the end will come after the gospel's preached. The end will come after there's a great harvest of souls from all of those nations. This is one of the signs of the times. This is good news. So this means while the greatest hardship the greatest persecution, the most amount of trouble and earthquakes and famines and the like, while all those things are happening, we also experience at the same time the greatest revival in human history. It's going to be really hard to just be sad. The Lord is going to be on the move and doing wild things. Well, let's look real quickly, just a couple minutes here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up, break up into groups. And if we could get that slide ready, <clears throat> um, just get it ready. Don't, don't put it up quite yet. Uh, part five here, bottom of page four, the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. Now, I recognize I've skipped forward a bunch of verses, but tonight the theme mostly was related to the signs of the times. And the big sign that they were asking about, this big sign, I want to make sure that we were able to, to look at it because it's related to this. So what that means is we'll probably do a little bit of review in our next session, but I wanted to touch on it tonight. All right, Jesus says this, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Now, the next verse, I really probably should have included it on there, is after he says, uh, they'll mourn, the very next uh, ver uh, line that he says is, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky. So I want to tell you this. It's really not mysterious. There's, there, Jesus, this is the one part where Jesus is like being really clear the, of his answer. They ask the question, what will be the sign of your coming? He says, you'll see me in the sky. Crazy, huh? <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, how is that a sign? Well, because actually when you see me in the sky... After I've given you all these other signs, because all the other signs come first, he answered the question, what's the sign? He says, it's layered, guys. It's not a single answer. It's layered. You're going to see this, you're going to see this, then there's this, then there's this, then there's this. He says, at the end of those things, because you thought that the end of those things was the whole story. I'm telling you there's a whole process. At the end of those things, <clears throat> you'll see me appear in the sky. That's a bizarre idea to a Jewish uh, apostle. We're going to see you in the sky. You. Not, not just moon and stars are doing funny things. You're doing funny things. You're in the sky. He says, yes. Well, okay, well, how is that a sign of your coming? Well, because when you see me, 
there's still 30 days of activity before I actually show up in Jerusalem and do the stuff that you're waiting on. You're waiting on the Messiah to come to Jerusalem and establish Jerusalem as the center governmental point of of the world. That's going to happen, but first you're going to see me appear in the sky and that'll be a sign to you that you've got 30 days left. Now, we'll get into 30 days later. It's out of Daniel chapter 12. I don't want to get into it right now. I just want you to know... He can tell them it's a sign still pointing to something because they're asking the question, remember it was all about Jerusalem and the buildings? They're asking the question, when are you going to be in Jerusalem and establish yourself as the Messiah? He says, when you see the Son of Man in the sky, when you see the sign of my appearing in the sky, then you can know we're really, really close to the answer to the question that you're asking, when will I come and restore Jerusalem, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So I just wanted to add that in as one of the signs because it's the one they were asking about, but I love that Jesus gives them 30 verses of information before he answers their question because he's like, you have totally misinterpreted this thing. I'll give you the answer, but I want you to understand the progression of events before we even get to that that concrete answer that you're after. So how do we identify these signs of the times differently than the lesser versions of all of them that have been occurring through history all the time? Like, how do we identify, no, this is a sign of the time reality? Okay, great question. So uh, the, the first is um, the globally discernible reality has got to be part of the narrative or it doesn't count. Like, imagine this. Jesus like, here are the signs of the times, but if you're not living in Omaha, Nebraska, then you won't be able to discern them because I'm only going to do this one sign in Omaha, Nebraska, and nobody else on the planet is going uh, to be impacted by it except the Omahanians, okay? And so it's like, well, that could not possibly be a sign for the body of Christ, okay? So the question is, what makes it global? You brought up the point of the internet and social media. I think part, not all, I'll say 15%. I think part of the answer to the question is internet and social media. I think part of the plan was always, if these things, if, if earthquakes have always been occurring at a level one, I'm not talking Richter scale, I'm talking about the evolution of things. If they've always been occurring at a level one, and all of a sudden you start having level 10 earthquakes, without the internet, how would we even know those were happening on the planet? How would we even know that those things were occurring? Okay, so I think technology, which Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 12, I think technology is a part, again, I'm saying 15%, of the answer to the question. But the real meat of it is severity and frequency. Severity and frequency. It's got to be to such a point that we go, I think something's going on here. (laughs) Like, I think, like, we're looking at worse earthquakes and more earthquakes and more devastation of earthquakes. Similarly with famines, similarly with wars. There's always been wars. There's always been rumor of wars. There's always been famines. How do we identify these things? It's got to be of frequency and intensity. And so, uh, so that's, that's, I think, the, the most significant uh, sign indicator. Otherwise, we've always had famines and earthquakes and things. But I do think that the globalization of the world related to internet, social media, sharing of information, news outlets, I do think that that plays into it because otherwise, how would the world even know that the other side of the world was experiencing more earthquakes? Um, So I think it plays in. So great question. That's great. 
So uh, what's the punishment, or rather, what's the consequence for those that have turned away from the Lord, that we, re- we just read the passage, and Jesus comes back? They go to hell. I mean, it's really simple. There's no, there's no mincing. Why is Jesus warning? Oh, you know, I want, I'll hand slap you. You know, here's your warning. No, he says betray each other. They're acting like lost people. They will turn on the church. They'll, they'll betray, turn and, and hate each other. This is the reason this is such a dire situation. It's why the church needs to pay attention. Now, I'll tell you this, and I think it's really important. Whenever we read a Bible verse, all the other Bible verses that are in the Bible also still count. Okay? So how about this one? Repent and you will be saved. That one still works too for the one whose heart starts growing cold and starts betraying and hating their brother and then they get slapped awake and repent. They're good to go. That repentance is real at stage one, two, three, four. I mean, so, so we need to take this seriously, but we also don't need to go, anybody that starts to get sucked into that vortex, there's no hope for them. There absolutely is until he comes. But when he comes, they're going to hell. So, I mean, it's, it's really intense. I mean, it's like really, really intense. And so, uh, so that's why this whole subject of deception, it's not just like the end times will be harder for a Christian that doesn't know what's going on. The end times will be so terminal, not just in the natural, in the spirit, which is far worse. The end times will be... Jesus said the first thing he said in answer to the question was, watch out that no one deceives you. And then he spends the rest of the chapter unpacking what that will look like and how big of a deal it is and why he's exclamation pointing, watch out. He's saying, watch out, because this will have dire, eternal consequences for those that are not paying attention. And so the common thought process, it's like, well, I don't need to understand the end times. It'll be fine. It'll all just pan out. That is one of the greatest lies from the enemy. I mean, I, think about that for a second. If Jesus said, it won't pan out, you'll die and go to hell. And our culture is saying, ah, you don't need to understand the end times. It's not that big of a deal. And you know, everybody who loves Jesus, they're all going to go to heaven. Well, everybody who stays loving Jesus is going to go to heaven. But Jesus warned the love of most will grow cold in that generation. We need to look at the Bible. We need to start taking our cues from the man that saved us from the ones that, the words of Jesus, like we've got to start taking our cues and go, if he said it's super essential that I pay attention, it's very important that I know what the word says about these things, that I am careful, that I am paying attention, watching out, and walking according to his purposes, that I don't wind up deceived. If he said that, then the consequences for ignoring him, have, we have to recognize they are great consequences. And so what's happening, I think, is little studies like this are starting to multiply. And the Lord is going to help shift the perspective of the church. I think, personally, I think we still have got some decades. I don't think that Jesus is coming back in five years or ten years. I know it's not five. I, I don't think he's coming back in that sort of a quick time frame. I think we've still got some time. Part of the reason I think that is because the Lord is a good leader, and the church right now would be completely unprepared for the second coming. And Jesus wants the church prepared for the second coming. 
So I think we've got a little bit of time where Bible studies like this are going to start making sense to people, and they're going to go, I think I'm going to actually like jump into this. I think I'm going to start really starting to understand and give myself uh, to this study, not this Bible study, but the concept of studying the end times, so that I could be prepared, so that I'll be ready when this thing goes down. So great question. Uh, the, the one I wrote down in the questions, number three, was what assurance do you have that you won't be one of those whose love grows cold at the end of the age? Uh, and Luke's kind of counter question was, okay, so can we grow so confident that we wind up in a bad spot? We wind up arrogant and potentially, you know, uh, um, in, in, in the exact opposite situation of what we think we're in because we've got assurance. Here, it's actually really, really simple. It's simple in answer. It's difficult in execution. It's really simple. Just love Jesus. And follow what he says. Now, the reason I say that that's an easy answer is because the only way people are going to wind up in all this nonsense is they stop loving Jesus and doing what he says. But the problem is the tendency will be to slowly wane our love for Jesus and to slowly stop doing what he's saying and slowly embrace the spirit of the age. And Jesus warns and says, that's going to be your fight. That's going to be your trouble. So I'll say it this way. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We better start with fearing God, fearing what he's said in holy reverence to the end time drama and going, I'm going to be found in, a, in agreement with his plan. I'm going to be walking into, into his purposes. I'm going to understand what he says. That's the very beginning of wisdom. That's, how, that's where wisdom starts is the fear of the Lord. So... I think for all of us to go, man, I really want to be found with you where you are, Jesus. I want to be found saying what you're saying, thinking what you're thinking. I'll just say this. The, the ones that, whose hearts are going to grow cold, and anybody is susceptible, it's they're getting off of the greatest commandment. They are, they're waning from loving the Lord your God. See, again, it's like it's the most simple answer to the question. What's the most important thing? Just love God. Well, if you love God, you'll be fine. But... It's protecting that love in the midst of the most wicked, deceptive generation. So here's just a couple of thoughts. Your community will have massive impact on whether you continue to love God or not. Because if your best friends are falling into the spirit of the age, it's going to be very difficult for you to not fall in the spirit of the age. Your community matters a ton. Do you know these verses? Do you know them and are you reviewing them again and again? I don't mean do the study one time and then don't look at any of these end time chapters for 15 years because you did the study and you're good. Are you giving yourself to understand this information? I don't mean it has to be the only thing you read, but are you reading it? It doesn't have to be the only thing you study, but are you studying it? And can you say that as a yes answer in all the seasons of your life, starting now until the second coming? It sounds to me from Jesus' perspective, he thinks this is a big deal. He thinks this is a big subject that we actually need to like give time and attention to. So I think that the subject of pursuing Jesus and a love for Jesus and what he says and trying to understand this generation, looking at his Bible and being committed to what it says, not committed to what feels good, the concept of live your truth is one of the greatest lies in human history. Live your truth as though there's versions of truth. There is no versions of truth. There's the truth in the word and 
everything else that isn't in agreement with it is a lie. Well, if we're just getting sucked up into the culture, we're going to buy into live your truth. If we're, just, if we're not rooted in the word and allowing the word to define our truth, then there's going to be increasing opportunities, increasing best friends, increasing moms, increasing kids that are trying to woo us away from what is true and trying to get us to think according to the spirit of the age. And those that do will be in a really bad spot. So I don't think anybody that's, that's honest about this is going to get too confident. <laughs> I think the issue is going to be the opposite. I think people are going to go, I think people are, are going to think they're fine because they read it a little bit. Because they, you know, they, they did the study because they love Jesus, because they read their Bible every day. I think that's where the, the, the confidence is going to come that's wrong. I don't think you could have too much confidence by pursuing righteousness, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, reading the word, studying the stuff, paying attention. I think that's like, that's a good spot to be. And again, that's the same rules of the entire Bible and all of Christianity. It's not like in the end times, the rules change. It's that the consequences increase for not following the rules. The rules aren't different. It's actually like, be a real Christian and love God all the time. Well, that's what we were always supposed to be doing. It's just under different circumstances, in lighter seasons, the consequences were lessened when we didn't do it. But in the end times, it's going to bring to the surface everything. So that's where we've got to be people that are committed. So great questions tonight. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tpr.com dfw.com. Thank you.